fear is good. That is good in the organizational context, in the individual context, in the national context. I would actually encourage you to embrace your fears so that you can liberate your soul. Hi, and welcome to part two of our discussion with Phil and Tor from the Barrett Value Centre. In part one of this podcast, we focused on understanding the shift in our values due to COVID-19. And we talked about a global COVID-19 culture assessment survey that the Barrett Value Centre were undertaking. That survey is now closed, but if you'd like to sign up to hear the outcomes from that survey, then join us on Wednesday, the 20th of May at four o'clock UK time for a webinar where we'll be doing just that. But in advance of seeing those results today, we're going to pick up the conversation again with Phil and Tor and discuss how the Barrett Valley Centre undertakes global culture assessments. I think this is a really fascinating use of a tool and I was really interested to hear the examples, the real life examples of national culture and values assessments. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. Phil and I started a, a bit of a conversation about measuring culture and values at, at a national scale. And I thought that was fascinating. And so we thought we'd like to carry on that conversation this morning and explore it in a little more detail. So welcome Tor, welcome Phil. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you. Nikki. Thank you. So let's just start off, I guess, to begin with, with it for me, help me understand why it's important that we try and understand culture and values at this kind of country level, at, at a national level. I think it is important for us to start with why is it important with values uh, per se, uh, because that's kind of un is the basis for understanding why it's important in the nation or national perspective. And, and values is, uh, as we look upon it, uh, is an expression of our needs, uh, our desires, and, and um, it's our base for our decisions and our behaviors. And by understanding and looking at our values, we will be much more and oh, is more capable for us to see what's going on what are the behaviors what is the motivation what's happening uh, in people's life so to speak what motivates them um the other thought part of looking at values these values could be both subconscious or conscious uh, and uh, the shift between subconscious because there we are living to a very large extent by values that we are subconscious about or unconscious about, meaning that our needs that we are trying to meet that are not that we are not aware of, and part of the reason to do the measurement is to become more conscious about the values that we value and values that actually helps us to become uh, what we would like to become, so that we are not the, uh, on a journey that we are not in control of, so to speak. I mean, when you put it like that, it seems pretty obvious, really, <laughs> why you might want to do it and yeah. how, how interesting it is that we're, it makes me reflect personally on, you know, all the things that you do unconsciously and what's driving them, really. I think that's, that's fascinating. So that makes, I get that at an organisational level and I can understand that you will come across leaders who start to get this and want to explore it more and that that, you know, that that becomes something that works for an organisation. How, does, how do you make the shift from an organisation to something that is at this much bigger level, at a country level? How do, you get a, how do you even get a country interested in doing something like this? I would say leaders have to want it. 
I mean, this is the same in any any field of human development um, to force somebody into coaching or counseling, saying you will go. It, that it doesn't work. People people will people will reject it. Um, so, yeah. in some sense, somebody somebody has to want this. And in our national measurements, we do. Sometimes we're working directly with the government. Sometimes we're working with citizens or community groups. Sometimes we're working with business groups. So it's not always a directly government-led intervention. Um, but the, the key is if somebody is passionate about this and wants it and, and sees the opportunity to make a difference in their nation, then, then the door is open. And, and in the best cases where we've seen real, real impact, when the government um, chooses to be involved as well and leaders choose to be involved as well, then we can see changes happening at a national level. Talking or building upon that, I, I, I think it is important that, that you are, as, as Phil is saying, that you, you want to do it. But that wanting to do is connected to this consciousness of what you value. So it's, we have found that the most successful transformational journeys has been when the leaders are saying, I, I am interested, I would like to do, I am I'm welcoming some kind of a deeper understanding. Now, sometimes... It is like this also for the national surveys because there we make them um, public and, and anyone anyone could actually go in and start to learn more about what what's going on in the, our nation, what are the needs and beliefs that actually are underpinning our way of how we behave, what we believe is true at this moment. But it also provides an understanding of, of these are the needs. I didn't know that these were the needs. So it, it also provides a possibility to expand to want to do something about it. I mean, invite leaders to see things that they may not have been conscious about before. So it's it's the combination of somebody who would like to and see the need for and getting started. And that's the critical mass to get the ball rolling. And then being more open source and making it available in the nation, it becomes a source for people to make decisions on. And, oh, I see that this is what people value. I didn't recognize that before. That's important. So it's also an expansion of consciousness and inviting to be wanting to contribute and be part of. I wanted to add, actually, to what yeah. Torrid said about the power of making this open source, because where does this start in many cases? It starts because somebody in, a, in another nation has seen, oh, I, I had no idea it was possible to measure the values, culture, and consciousness of a nation. Now I can see that. Now I can see that it's been done in all these countries over here. I want to do that in my country as well. Mm-hmm. And and it it truly has been um, the generosity of each nation saying yes, of course we'll make our results publicly available, has inspired others to do that as well. So that's often how this gets started because they're in, people are inspired by what they've seen others do. Guys, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, so I'm now itching to know. You've talked about you've done it in lots of different countries. Can you give me some examples? Talk to me about where, if you can, where have you worked? And um, I'm interested in things like, is there much variation between countries? What are some of the outcomes, really? I'm going to just, I'm in listening mode. Tell me all, really. I mean, let's start by saying we've worked um, with nearly 30, it's around 30 nations. I can't remember exactly, but but um, Canada, USA, Trinidad, Brazil, Venezuela, Belgium, Denmark, France, 
Nigeria, South Africa, Bhutan, Singapore, Australia. So just to give you a sense, um, I haven't listed them all, but just to give you a sense of some of those. But I think what's what's more interesting is if you if you kind of go in and focus on one or two stories within there, because I've got I got there's quite amazing stories from many of them. But but one of them I'd like to tell is about how um, one person and one organization led to the kind of the national values assessment, which really has at a governmental level changed a nation. And that was with Latvia. And um, so I said before that our, our um, core work is really around organizational and leadership development. I had the um, the president of a Latvian bank call and said, uh, I've read Richard Barrett's book, Liberating the Corporate Soul. And I'd like to bring this work to my bank because I believe that the transformation of this bank is about love. And that opened the door for a quite remarkable piece of work with him, his executive team and the whole bank over the next three years. So we went from a situation of someone knowing that it was about their own inner being that was important and how their inner being affected their whole organization. And the, the turnaround of that bank was quite remarkable. And the owner of the bank was the government. And the government said, like, what have you done? How, how have you been able to turn around the performance of this bank and the customer satisfaction in such a remarkable way? And he described what had happened. And somebody, pretty enlightened in the government, said it's possible to do this for a nation. And at that stage, we'd been playing with the idea. We didn't, we didn't know ourselves. And we're still novices. We're still learning day by day. But... I went over and I spoke um, with the parliament and the and the civil servants there, and we had a whole day meeting. At the end of it, they said, "Let's do it." And so we then worked with the um, the university in Riga and the government and the bank, and uh, together we did a national values assessment of the nation. And um, we went back, presented the results, and the government took it very seriously. They said, "This is this is." We've never seen this quality of information to help us really understand our people. And they took it so seriously, they created 18 months worth of dialogue with people in the cities, in the villages, in town halls, um, right across the nation. And very much supported by the university. They wanted that academic uh, kind of rigor in this as well. And um, at the end of that, it turned out they created the sustainable development strategy for Latvia based on the values of the people. So how do we build economy, transportation, education, housing, social services to be a reflection of the values of the people? And that's what they did. They built a sustainable development strategy that informed all aspects of government to be a reflection of the values of the people. Interestingly, they they said, we're Latvian, we, we, we want to do this in a Latvian way, we want to do this by ourselves. And and so we were the catalysts in that story. Um, we, we weren't the architects of, of what carried on from mm-hmm. there because they, they felt empowered by themselves to take that on, which, which was fantastic for us because we were then able to watch that unfolding. That's amazing. That, for me, that's exciting to hear. I really like it when, um, when things link beautifully and connect up. And sometimes I, I think you can see the kind of thinking about personal development or organizational development as sometimes being a bit separate from the delivery end of what's actually Mm -hmm. happening in an organization. They can sometimes get a little bit disconnected, I think. And so it's it's beautiful to hear that really natural flow from 
from you know thinking and and observing and reflecting into really changing the way things are done I like to underline and I, I I think this is a wonderful story of how it goes for how it kind of evolves into a practical uh, way of applying it but the assessment that we do we're looking at the values is um, another way to say is that we are making an assessment that uh, provides you the opportunity to to start to talk about what you would like to talk about. So it helps you to focus your conversation about what is important for the people in that context, organization or nation or community, um, mm -hmm. uh, that they are not, uh, not necessarily collectively aware of, but we provide that possibility. And as Phil said, we may don't have the solution for how they are going. They know that much better, but this is, segueing them into the, the conversation of understanding what it means and how do we do something about it. And that's how we, it's, it's really increasing consciousness uh, about what needs to happen uh, yeah. collectively. I mean, and that's so important because Tor and I and the team, we don't know how to build an effective government. We don't know how to build transportation policy or social sure. services policy. And, and that's not our job. Our job is to help understand the, the core human dynamics which sit behind all of those things being possible and and so that's that's where we can do our bit um and then that enables people to then once once they have that understanding it liberates them to be able to then think about how they do their jobs in a completely different way and so phil the latvian example is it sounds like a beautiful example of catalyzing as you i think to use your words something have you ever done this kind of work in a more like long-term environment where you've gone back and regularly checked in with a national level or at large community scale, or is it, it does it tend to be one-offs? Yeah, I, I come from, as you can hear in my very beautiful accent, I'm from <laughs> Sweden. And uh, we've been doing this for the last 12 years. Uh, we've done uh, 10 uh, assessments. Uh, the last two years, we've done it every second year. But the, in the beginning, we did it every year which gave us the possibility um, to be able to see what's going on, so to speak, in the nation mm -hmm. over time and connecting that to happenings in the nation. Uh, and um, that's part of the, you know, the, um, the validity of the survey that, that actually expresses what's going on in that population, so to speak, in this case, Sweden. But before we get it there, we also were able to see the consistency of how people, because we always choose, we use an external body to have a statistically significant or representative sample of Sweden every time. So we bought that to make sure that that was, you know, significant or statistically sound. Sure. Still, even if it's a new group, we choose the personal values are very consistent. Right. But this interesting thing that we see is that this one word that has kind of dropped very significantly from the first two years and then doesn't, hasn't really recovered the, uh, the next years. And that's okay. the word honesty. Honesty, responsibility, accountability is very important for people in Sweden when they explain themselves. But honesty disappeared or dropped from being 80% choosing that to describe themselves to about... 30% describing them. And the interesting, this happened at the time when we had the financial crisis. So we can't explain why, 
But this is an interesting story. Why did that word specifically to drop? And it has been trying to make its, its way up again, so to speak, in the priority of peoples when they describe themselves. Which leads me into another thing is that we see changes like the financial crisis. We, we can see how that actually started to disturb and new words, new focuses or words or values that people choose, specifically in the work environment that was showing up like cost-cutting, hierarchy, confusion, short-term focus, which makes all the sense that during a financial crisis that needs to happen. But there is also then we can see what is the new words that they are requesting that wasn't that emphasized before. That was more of uh, you know employee recognition, teamwork, wanting to be part of because they were cut out, and mm. also the possibility because uh, that were um, to be financially sound because that was an uncertainty. They were valuing financial stability much more at that time, uh, or uh, specifically. And that has actually maintained, because times has not been more certain after that, is is still. So in Sweden, financial stability is very important personal value, which is very different from many other countries in the, around the world. And then we had this other thing that I would like to say, where we saw a big shift. Uh, and um, we think that these things have been influencing uh, decision makers, and, and uh, both in in, in organizations and in, uh, on national political level, so to speak. But when we welcomed all the the big intake of refugees from Syria, mainly uh, in the, well, 2015, 16 and 17, we saw some new words that we haven't seen in the assessment, in the current, you know, how they perceived Sweden uh, as a nation currently. And we saw words like violence and crime, conflict, aggression, hate, uh, and uncertainty about the future. Uh, and and these words got so much more attention when we described the um, the nation. The interesting thing, we also have very good statistics about how the crime level in, uh, is looking like over the years in Sweden. It's, it's a governmental body that actually measure the number of reported crimes. That hasn't increased. That was the same. So it was more of a perception of this is really what's happening. And that has to do with how the impact from media is reporting of all these things happening. And we get the perception that this is happening. Now, perception is reality. So that is then causing some requests for new things. And the words that were actually getting more space was, uh, or more attention was equality, law enforcement, naturally, peace, and, and also dependable civil services. So it's interesting how you can see the dynamics both at play in the nation currently and what are the needs. And this makes a beautiful kind of starting point for the decision makers and leaders to see, okay, this is what we need to address at this particular moment to address what's happening in the nation. Oh my goodness. I feel like this needs to be a podcast series in itself. Just just finding out more about that Sweden example tour. That's fascinating. And and from my perspective, you know, one of the things that we do at Axia is layer different data types together to try and get at the I guess the the real truth of, of the matter. And so it's really interesting for me to hear you talking there about, you know, the kind of values data that's that's coming out and, and then also, you know, combining that with statistical data around crime to see mm -hmm. to, just to just to try and really start to unlock what's actually happening what do people think's happening um i think it's gosh it's a fascinating conversation yeah yeah uh, so um i mean this is really a story that that looks at um how 
society is made up of all these different things. It's made up of families and it's made up of villages and communities. And, and so, and so like thinking about, well, how do you transform the USA? How do you transform Russia? I mean, that, these are awfully big questions, but actually the answer is you've got to look at, you've got to look at what are the units of society and start to help those to transform themselves. And, um, and that's why that's why we're looking at not just whole nations, but also supporting communities to be able to transform themselves as well. One of our brilliant consultants, uh, Annalise Jennings in Australia, um, was actually visiting a, a a community in the Northern Territories of Australia, an Aboriginal community, and um, like many Aboriginal communities, they were in desperate stakes. There was high levels of drug addiction, alcoholism. Uh, most people were unemployed. Uh, there was a real sense of hopelessness. And unfortunately, things like family violence were at a very high level as well. And um, uh, for some reason, the, the elders at that community got to know about Annalise, and, and there was this magical connection that happened. And they said, would you help us? And, and she basically said, I'll help you to help yourselves. And uh, we, through Annalise, we did a values assessment of this community, which showed how people were experiencing things right now, but more importantly, what they desired for the future. And Annalise helped them to, to design their own vision of the future. And over the course of three years, they started to execute that with amazing results. So we saw employment go up by 60% over the course of three right. years. We saw an 80% reduction in children attending the safe house because family violence was dropping very fast. We saw drug addiction and alcoholism reducing because people were now getting pride and a sense of purpose back in their lives. And the number of, of court appearances were reducing. So on every level, the community was actually healing itself by, by listening to itself and engaging in its values and, and and coming up with a completely new quality of life and and the lovely part two lovely parts to this one is that the um in the northern territories they now use this at a governmental level as an example of how to transform and heal community the second thing is uh, some time after this story happened i had a call from annalise to say that the safe house had actually been closed because it was no longer needed the family violence had dropped to a level where people people were never there anymore, and and that for me was a true sign of that healing had had taken place. Not finished because no no community is perfect, but but it was it was um, a remarkable outcome. And um, this is a success very much due to the fact what Annalise is as a person and how she comes about in a very unselfish, caring and compassionate way so to speak so you it's not a formula for you can read a book and then they dip 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 then this this mm -hmm. is going to be a success it's how she actually were able to in a fearless way connect with and support and help them from where they are and listening to their needs so it's very much up to her ability to to be able to do so and and uh, face the uncertainty that is very much connected to these type of journeys you don't know the mm -hmm. answer but you're willing to go into that conversation uh, in a fearless way and, and explore to yeah. find the answer and that's what one of the things that i think was the success factor having that said i would like to 
just add a few things because we are talking about this is is this a success there are some failures as well which i think could be worth mentioning at this as well or things mm. that could hinder you from being successful one of those uh, it's very much based on when your fear is coming in when you're having more of a selfish act when you are thinking that this is mine i don't want to share this with somebody else this is exclusive i can make a good benefit for myself on this that mm. is the deteriorating the possibility for you to be successful uh, when doing these type of work. And that is both for a nation and also an organization. So if there is a group of uh, people, consultants, maybe uh, corporate organizations who really would like to do this, uh, and they are doing this only for their own, you know, I to, for the image or for getting new prospects and things like that. If that's the driver, the community around and the nation around will recognize that and, yeah. and are not being so willing to corporate uh, cooperate or, or be part of or, or take act. So you need to actually have a mission and a purpose agreement in the team that we are doing this for ourselves. There is a self-interest, but that's not the dominant picture. It's for us to make a difference in the society we are part of. And mm-hmm. when you're able to do that, that's when it opens up. So it's this energy about what's holding us together is actually at play very strongly at this mm-hmm. this work as well. It's, it sounds extremely powerful. And and um, some of the words that you've said really strike a chord with me. It, um, I just hear you talk about, I guess, authenticity and that it's really obvious when organizations and people aren't aren't being authentic with the tool but also you don't hear the word fear used very often in business and it's really I think it's a really powerful word and I think something Phil said when we began the conversation around um this is about stopping being driven by fear I think that's um that's a really it's a really powerful thing to think about really in a bit a really powerful phrase but I suppose it, you need to reflect and you need to self-reflect don't you to really think about what might be driving you and what what those fear drivers might be really and we were we are brought up with fear uh, and it's helping us how do we get away so that we don't feel that anxiety or fear-driven feelings Mm. that we might have Uh, and they are there that's our ego helping us to defend ourselves and protect ourselves from the situation that we're in so it's nothing wrong with that it's actually quite good so when you are feeling that it's a good sign for you to know what's important to you in your life so i have changed my view of how I kind of take on fear. Fear is not something that is, it's good for us to be aware of our fear, but we are shying away from it because there is something negative. I would underline the fact that I would actually encourage you to embrace your fears because that tells you what's important to you and understand what's the reason why you are feeling that that is so important. So I'd like to um, advise us to be more willing to embrace it and, and take it on rather than to push it away and, and treat it as something that we don't want to deal with. Fear is good. Uh, and uh, that is good in the organizational context, in the individual context, in the national context. So don't fear the fear is my summary of that at all. I like it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Or, or even more positive, embrace your fears mm. so that you can liberate your soul. I think... I mean, I, could, I, I couldn't possibly try and summarise better than I've just heard you You do, really. I think um, that feels like a really natural point to probably draw our conversations to a close. Um, I just wanted to say, well, a huge thank you, really. What a fascinating insight into the work that you're you're doing and that Barrett Valley Centre are, are doing globally. And um, and it was it's so lovely to hear 
about the tangible impacts of that kind of work as well. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Phil and Tor as much as I did. It was really fascinating to get under the skin of some of those real life examples of national culture and values assessments. And it doesn't feel like anything could be more relevant in the kind of current environment than understanding the values of a nation at a time when those values are being tested so very much. And that completely aligns with what Axia Origin are trying to do. We're orientated around the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and understanding how we can drive towards delivery of those goals is really key for us and understanding values feels like a really important part of that puzzle. If you're interested in hearing more about the Barrett Valley Centre COVID-19 results, then join us for a webinar on the 20th of May at 4pm UK time and just click the link below this podcast to register for that. Or perhaps you'd like to do your own personal values assessment. Every journey starts with just one person. And so head to valuecentre.com forward slash PVA to do just that. Finally, thanks so much for joining us. And if you want to carry on the conversation, head to axiaorigin.com and do get in touch. Bye bye now.